The man rushes toward the courtyard. He heard the noise and upheaval stream into the inner temple, the clang and shouts of the soldiers marching out of the same gate that the rabbi had walked through yesterday. He sprints after them, catching up to them, but hugging the shadows to avoid being seen. He overhears the stragglers at the back. His worst fear realized. They are going after the rabbi. A lot has happened since our last episode. Jesus' words didn't sit well with the religious leaders. His love was too fierce. His words too free. They didn't know what to do with them. They've never known what to do with them. So they did what one expects a group of leaders to do with a possible threat. They tried to stomp it out. Now we find Jesus in an interesting predicament. Everything he has been working towards is put into jeopardy. It's really hard to fight for peace when you're on trial to be hung on a cross. Now, of course, we know the end of the story, but this man, the one who's been hanging out in the temple his entire life and is now learning how to see the world in so many new ways, has no idea how this thing is about to unfold. Welcome to Stories in Scripture a podcast dedicated to telling the big story of the Bible one piece at a time. This season, one man learns the key to life isn't power or privilege, but a new way of seeing the world. The man crouches behind a tree, desperate to remain invisible yet needing to know, to see what will happen. The soldiers circle with a caution, hesitantly closing in around the young teacher. He stands stoically, looking calmly at the lead soldier. They were not much older than each other. This man can't help but notice how similar they are. Both doing what they think best, but one with the power of men, the other with the power of God. One of the disciples, a man named Peter, draws his sword violently, an ear falls to the ground. The rabbi looks sharply at him, but speaks gently. Peter, those who live by the sword will die by it as well. The rabbi looks back at the soldier and nods. The soldier reluctantly places the shackles on him. I find it really comforting that Peter after years of being with Jesus still loses sight of the mission from time to time because it happens to me all the time. Jesus gently invites Peter to wake up, to think higher about all of this, as if to say, you wanna fight, Peter? You wanna do something about all this injustice? That's great, so do I, but you can't fix a problem with the same consciousness that created it. So those who live by the sword will die by the sword, which means we're going to fight, except our weapons are going to be love in peace. We're going to fight back by showing grace because you can't cast out darkness with more darkness. You're going to need a light for that. So how about we fight by giving people our ear to listen instead of chopping theirs off? The crowd flows through the street of Jerusalem. The man keeps close and silent, knowing that he's safe as long as he keeps his mouth shut. The silence also allows him to listen better. He hears that they move towards the house of the high priest, Caiaphas. There, the rabbi will be put on trial. The night blurs together a swirl of shouts and movement. False witness after false witness comes forward to testify against the rabbi. Each one is refuted, 
their words snuffed out like the sparks shooting off the fire. Then a man comes forward. Caiaphas silences the crowd, staring the man down. The man clears his throat. This man, he points at the rabbi, said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Caiaphas smiles briefly at the rabbi, but turns to the crowd, gesturing broadly and significantly. Have you no answer to make, rabbi? The last word drips with disdain. The rabbi remains silent. I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus turns to Caiaphas, staring him dead in the eyes. You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Caiaphas, blasphemy, blasphemy. A loud rip erupts as he tears his clothes. He swings his arms wide to the crowd. What more do we need? Why do we need more witnesses? What do you think? He has whipped the crowd into a frenzy. They shout and vibrate with fury. He deserves death. One by one, the prominent men in the crowd walk up to Jesus, spitting and striking him in the face. Apparently that line didn't go too well for Jesus. I mean, at least not if your goal is to escape being hung on a cross. The interesting question is why? After everything Jesus has been saying, why was that the line that put everyone over the edge? Even the crowds who were just shouting, Hosanna, save us, just suddenly turn on him. What did he say? Well, to answer that question, we need to back up a few centuries to an important moment in the history of Israel. They're living as exiles in Babylon at the time, which means conditions are far from ideal. One Israelite managed to earn favor in the eyes of King Nebuchadnezzar because of his ability to interpret dreams. His name's Daniel. And what he says in Daniel 7 becomes one of the most iconic moments in the Old Testament for Jews for generations to come. Bringing up Daniel 7 would have been like bringing up the Enneagram in a room full of Christians these days. Why? Well, let's read it. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one, like a son of man, Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away in his kingdom. Listen to this. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Sound familiar? Yet, yeah, because Jesus just quoted Daniel 7 about himself in the middle of a trial, as if to say he is the one Daniel prophesied of who has all authority on heaven and earth, and soon every nation and people of every language would worship him, because his dominion will not pass away and his kingdom will not be destroyed. Pretty big moment. And of course, the weight of it all is lost on us a bit, a few thousand years removed. But at this trial, every person would have known exactly what he just said. So the stage is set. 
The man who has refused to give any easy black and white answers all week suddenly does so by pointing the entire story of scripture back to himself, which is either brilliant or the thing that will lead to his death, or perhaps it's both of those things. Pilate presses his fingers into his eyes. He has avoided the issue long enough. Why can't it just go away? Why do I have to get involved in Jewish temple politics? Sejanus will not be pleased, nor will Caesar. As if he doesn't have any other more pressing manners, Caiaphas had come to him personally a few days ago to let him know about a potential new rebel. It was a shock to hear such a thing from the high priest, but Pilate couldn't afford not to take it seriously. He was surprised when early this morning, Caiaphas and the other chief priests showed up with his traveling rabbi. Even Pilate had heard the rumors about this young rabbi. He had heard the teachings vaguely and he can't make sense of them. The first will be last, the meek will inherit the earth. Pilate is morally stumped by this man. Now, the rabbi stands in front of him on trial for blasphemy, which amounts to treason for the Jews. Are you king of the Jews? You have said so. Pilate sighs. The chief priests break out in a din of shouts and harsh words condemning the man before Pilate. Do you not hear the things they say, how they testify against you? The rabbi stares ahead, silent. Pilate stares at him, perplexed. He presses his hands to his eyes again. He looks back and forth between the two prisoners on the steps. One, infamous, evil, Barnabas. The other, this rabbi. Pilate turns to the crowd and stares meaningfully directly at Caiaphas. I can release one of these two prisoners. Whom do you wish me to release? Barabbas, the crowd shouts back, almost in unison. And what about this man, Jesus? The crowd again, crucify him. Pilate is taken aback. Crucifixion? For what? Why? He looks at the rabbi. His face is unmoved. Pilate struggles. He can't afford another rebellion. Rome won't have it. If they want him punished, he will punish him. But he can't help but feel something bigger is at stake here. The man watches Pilate walk slowly over to the large basin. He dips his hands in and rubs them together. He faces the crowd for the last time. I am innocent of this man's blood. He nods at the guards, turns, and strides back into his estate. Have you ever had a big problem on your hands and found just about every excuse known to man to procrastinate making any decisions? That's why I picture Pilate in this moment, because this situation is incredibly complex. The way Jesus chose to get his message into the world is far from simple, and those with their careers and lives on the line are feeling the weight. Pilate has to weigh the fact that so many people have turned on Jesus despite the fact that he really didn't do anything wrong with the fact that the other man on trial is a murderer he'd rather not have on the loose. But then again, there's the religious leaders who have made their stance a abundantly clear, and although they aren't the most enjoyable guys to hang out with, they often do Pilate's job for him, so he wants to keep their trust, and then to top it all off, he ultimately has to answer to his boss. 
Emperor Tiberius, who at this point ruled the greatest empire the world has ever seen and wasn't a huge fan of rebels. Remember, Rome is at the height of its power at this point. Their empire consisted of some 2.2 million square miles, all led by Emperor Tiberius, who appointed men to oversee pieces of the pie, essentially like governors. Pilate gets sent to Judea, which would have been a great hand to be dealt until Jesus comes on the scene and makes everything more complicated. I think he does that on purpose. I think he wanted it that way because he's trying to show us how much more there is going on beneath the surface. And yet, at the exact same time, it's all very, very simple. Sonder, the realization that every person you meet has their own story they're living out. That's what Jesus understood. From the famous to the faceless, the lepers, the lame, and the little children, Jesus saw the humanity in everyone. One morning, he sees a group of uneducated fishermen trying to get by and invites them on a journey. Then he meets a zealot named Simon and shows him a new way to fight. And then a tax collector named Matthew and gives him a chance to use his mind and his gifting in a brand new way. I mean, imagine a zealot and a tax collector in the same group learning how to get along. He sat with prostitutes, touched lepers, and worked to deconstruct just about every social stigma of the day including with the prestigious religious leaders who were all trying to get rid of him. See, Sonder doesn't just mean that the blind and the beggars have a story, it also means the power-hungry leaders do as well. Jesus wasn't just interested in being a voice for the voiceless, although he certainly was. He was also interested in bringing healing and wholeness to those who thought they had it all. Jesus found people and gave them all an invitation that went something like this. Hey, we're doing something. There is something far greater than the kingdom of this world at hand. It's a way forward where now instead of grasping for power, we serve. Instead of hoarding for ourselves, we give generously. Instead of trying to win debates, we see the people at the heart of the debates as human beings. And although we may disagree with them and probably should disagree with some of them, we always remember that at the end of the day, there is a reason for each one of their behaviors. Which means if we would just take the time to get to know them a little bit, we'd probably find that we actually have way more in common than we ever thought. And you, human, all of you, all of us, are invited to join in on the fun. The man from the temple had watched the whole scene with Pilate. He could only imagine what must have been going through the prefect's mind. Even from his corner of the temple, the man had heard about the uprisings in Israel. Pilate answered to Rome, and Rome was not happy with the rebellions. He now stands across the hill from the three crosses. He watches as the soldiers mock the rabbi. He watches as the men play lots for the rabbi's meager possessions. He doesn't want to watch, but he can do nothing else. The wind whips his clothes tight around his body. The sky darkens ominously. He notices some of the men from the temple, the ones who had challenged Rabbi. They seem less confident, less pleased with themselves. As if this violence was not satisfying, 
at least not as satisfying as they'd hoped. They had wanted him to pay for his insolence, but this felt like they had gone too far. They look scared, the man thinks. Why would they be scared? They got what they wanted. They've eliminated the source of the potential problem. Suddenly the man felt eyes on him. He looked around in the crowd, but no one is focused on him. Who is looking at me? I know someone is. Slowly he comes to a strange realization. He stares up towards the rabbi on the cross. He now knows who sees him. The rabbi stares intently at him, the kindness still in his eyes behind the pain. The rabbi holds his gaze for what seems like eternity, then nods. You can't fix a problem with the same consciousness that created it. The thought crosses his mind almost involuntarily. He begins to smile, almost laugh. Inhale in, let the breath out slowly. He turns and begins to walk back down the road, finally realizing what he will now devote the rest of his life to, the way forward. Thanks for listening to this season of Stories in Scripture. We love getting to tell these stories and appreciate you joining us on the journey. We hope you enjoyed the ride and maybe learned a few things along the way. So many more stories to tell, so we'll see you next time for Season 4.